breathe in y'all breathe out it's been a week for us it's it's just been a week and I when I wanted to talk about this um you know racism is a public health issue I wanted to do it in times when tension was not as great as it is but now it's even more important for us to sit down and talk about this issue of why we need to start talking about racism as a public health issue you know it's it's we can no longer sit here and saying that racism is is not a factor in how people treat each other and how we interact with one another and how the health of people in this country is being determined by i am so sad to see that our country is not in a great place you know i i pray for healing And I pray that we get back to a place where we can at least sit down and have a conversation. I felt over these past couple of years, we have lost that. The ability to sit down and be civil and just have a conversation. I'm not saying that we have to agree. And I'm not saying that we have to, you know, always be, you know, peace and harmony. But at least sit down and let's have a conversation. So today on the podcast, I am excited. I have Anna here today. And today we just literally had a conversation. And the conversation that we had centered around why racism is a public health threat and why we need policy, health policy, that talks about how racism is impacting the health of not only those of black lives, but Hispanic lives, Native American lives, or indigenous peoples as well as every other people of color. Because again, this is color and health policy. And that's what we're focused on. We're focused on changing the narrative of how health policy is being seen. So let's get to it. Thank you again for coming to another episode of Coloring Health Policy. Today I have with me um, Anna, who's an MD-PhD student. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Awesome. Do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Uh, I'm Anna Heffron. I am a sixth-year MD-PhD student at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. Um, my PhD research is in viruses and my, um, intended medical field. I'm not entirely sure yet, but I really liked emergency med and ICU care and trauma surgery. That honestly sounds amazing, Anna. And that's why I wanted you on the show today, because I really want to talk about this issue of racism in public health. How does, um, how do we address racism in health policy and how we best make sure the policy when it comes to health is addressing the disparities that we are seeing in health? 
And um, Anna was one of the main people um, to pass a policy through through the American Medical Association's medical student section or the AMA or the AMA MSS when you're talking about the medical student section um, on um, racism, which is racism is a public health threat. So I start off um, asking everyone, why, why health policy? Why did you feel like being a part of health policy is important? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, for me, it started uh, in my first year of medical school. Um, my uh, one of my uh, MSTP, an older MSTP student or older MD PhD student, um, was talking about the graduate medical education crisis and how there's not sufficient funding in it. And um, I thought that was crazy that the people around me, all of the dedicated future MDs, might not get to go to residency because there wasn't sufficient funding for it, especially with the physician crisis that we have. Um, so yeah. that pulled me in. And I went to my first um, American Medical Association medical student section meeting in November. That was November 2014. And um, there I met all sorts of other medical students who were working on a lot more health policy issues um, related to patient advocacy. And I was really hooked. <laughs> and um, there were students working on issues for vulnerable populations and students working on um, discrimination within the healthcare system. And uh, just so many issues that I really cared a lot about. And I, I got hooked from that and I've been here ever since. That's exciting. So like what other policies have you done for um, the AMA? Yeah, uh, the first policies that I worked on, um, admittedly, when I when I the first years that I was involved, I didn't write policies myself. I helped other people with their policies and I didn't feel mm -hmm. entirely confident writing the policy is a big thing. And I um, hung back a little bit. But when I started writing policy, um, I realized how powerful that can be in helping you and in putting like an issue that you care a lot about into words and really defining an action that you want to see taken on it. So I started with policies to protect the rights of organ donors and focusing on LGBTQ health and healthcare systems, protections for children in the foster care system. Um, that was kind of how I got started from there. I've also written policies on racism in the healthcare system, racialized medicine. <laughs> mm. um, I think, I think what my, my policies, I was trying to think of like how I could put them all in one basket. And I think the basket they tend to fall into is vulnerable populations and power differentials in medicine and health. That's deep. Like why by vulnerable populations? I mean, I understand that for a lot of people in medicine right now, caring about the underserved and caring about just the you know, populations and minority populations in general who are not getting attention is kind of like the end thing to do. But something else that you mentioned, the whole like power dynamic, like why, why particularly did you care about that and wanted to do more to change yeah. that? I think, th I think it's always been important to me as a person. I don't like power differentials. <laughs> um, but I think also that it's one of those things in medicine that you don't, you don't think about as something that is going to stand in the way of you helping a patient. So you, every, I think most people I know go into medicine because they want to help people. That's like the base of why, <laughs> why we're here. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but then you get to medicine and yeah. there are all these things in the way of helping patients. And I remember that from my first day in medicine, um, going to a school of medicine and public health, they started us on the public health thing early and they talked <laughs> about, <good>. yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that now, especially, um, <laughs> But they start, you know, the first day they talked about how in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, which is um, consistently ranked as one of the most segregated cities in the U.S. and has some of the worst health disparities in the U.S. So mm-hmm. I think seeing, I think there's a patient who um, stuck with me so thoroughly. He was an elderly black man. Mm-hmm who was obese and had diabetes and hypertension and was lower SES. And we were just kind of casually like going through his diabetes meds and um, he needed to go up on them and his H, his numbers were not great. Um, And so I just kind of casually said, yeah, we'll like go up on your medications. And he, um, we'd been talking about all his problems and he looked at me and he just said, is that going to help me? And I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> there's so many things that stand in the way of you getting better in the way of you having health. They're all built on all of these things that put you on the wrong side of a power differential and just really kind of embodied all of the ways that I worry that when we do, when we do healthcare <laughs> and we don't do and we don't think about racism and we don't think about systemic injustices, um, that sticks with me. And that's, mm. I think it's a scary thing to think about that in healthcare, we can want to really help patients, but if we aren't thinking about the things that stand in our way, we might not be helping them. So that's where, that's a very long answer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's, that was perfect. And, and it helps me um to transition because you mentioned um Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is a huge, a, a very large black majority. And they also were one one of the first um, cities to pass basically that racism is a public health threat based off of um, what they saw with um, stop and frisk. And I was just curious, you know, um, that, you know, that you written on um, how racism is a public health threat. Um, Why, why that topic? Why did you feel like, you know, the American Medical Association should be the one to come out and support that racism is a public health threat and that we need to mm-hmm. do something about racism? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I should say, uh, first, I should call out all of the folks who were authors on the resolution. Um, I had to do that earlier and I forgot, but it was uh, Rohan Kazanchi, Paige Anderson, um, Gitaka. Shivastava, Reharavani, Sahana, Har- sorry, Harik Krishnan, and then Amir Haidar were um, the folks who worked on writing it. And you were involved in that with SNMA. Um, yes, for um, Student National yeah, Medical Association. Really I was their liaison on that. Um, yeah. So the, <laughs> I, um, when we started working on this resolution, uh, actually didn't know <laughs> that Milwaukee had um, proclaimed racism as a public health crisis. Uh, Paige, one of my co-authors, after we had started working on this, sent me an article with that. And I was like, whoa, this is good. I mean, never good timing to have a racism as a public health crisis, but it was good timing <laughs> to see that other, like, other folks were working on this. Um, where the idea for the resolution mm-hmm. came, though, was actually... Um, in July of 2019, where um, 
the uh, current presidential administration had made a proclamation um, or had made a statement about four women of color in Congress should go back to where they came from. Um, and I remember seeing that mm. statement and um, it was, I mean, it was reviling, right? <laughs> I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. oh, I remember that. that vividly. Feeling of, <laughs> I remember that. Um, this is coming from the highest office. Um, but the second thing that I thought when I saw it was um, I kind of panicked because I thought when I saw that, like, there's no way that this is not going to incite violence against people of color. And um mm. Maybe it's because I think I kind of want to go into emergency or like trauma surgery. And so my first thoughts are like, this is going to be an uptick of people who didn't need to be in the emergency room and didn't need to be in the trauma bay Um, or even just like the mental health burden of people of color having to think, you know, Mm -hmm. the folks around me agree with this president who wants people of color to not be in the United States, basically. And so, um, from that, I thought, like, I'm part of the AMA. I want the AMA to make a statement on this <laughs> about how this racism from on high is going to hurt people and affect people's health and that we should not just stand idly by while this, while this happens. Um, so I went to the AMA policy compendium and looked for a res- like a policy where I could say, like, look, we have this thing about racism. We should make a statement. And um I found kind of surprisingly that there was an awful lot about disparities in the compendium, but there was nothing about racism. Why do you think that? Why do you think there was nothing on racism? I think it is, um, I think it matches what we see in society and medicine more broadly, Mm. that everybody talks about disparities, but nobody talks about the role that racism plays in it. And I hadn't realized at that point how pervasive that was. But I think it's really pervasive. Mm. Yeah. When did you realize that the, there's a connection between the two? Because I even like, you know, um, I'm just thinking about, you know, what Dr. Fauci said when he was talking about health disparities and how um, prevalent they are. We know they're prevalent. And he's saying like, yeah, we know when, you know, America gets a cold, Black America gets pneumonia. We know that, you know, it's always going to be worse for them. We, we see the stats. We see the facts. We know that certain things they are going to get two times more likely and things like that. But I noticed you've stopped short of saying like racism is playing or systemat- systemic, you know, racism is playing a part in the health disparities that we're seeing. And I'm just curious, why is that? Why do people stop short of making the connection between the two? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good Deep question. And I think there are probably several, I think, well, from my point of view, I think there's a few reasons behind it. I think in some ways, um, it's really interesting because it is, if you think about it, like there's really no other answer that it could be like it's systemic racism. Um, I think people haven't made that connection in some ways or, well, I'll, I'll start with that one, I guess. So I think something that was interesting on this note, I posted a story about the numbers in Milwaukee, which um, in Milwaukee right now, our Black community is much more likely to be infected with COVID mm-hmm. or with SARS-CoV-2. Um, 
and they're much more likely to die from the disease. And mm. I posted a, an article about this um, to social media, and it was really interesting to see a few responses about like, yeah, I wonder what the genetic cause of that is. And um, it was just very interesting that the first thought was like, it must be something genetic. And that's a, a little bit cringy, right? Because it's like, yeah, <laughs> it made me cringe. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you're like you're saying you're pursuing a PhD in, in yeah. um, biology. So like you already know like b- the basics of a virus. So you're like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> yeah, there's that. And also just, yeah, I agree that it's not it's not the virus. It's us. <laughs> it's the, um, and that I think was just hard to, um, I think it's hard for me to see being deep in virology and also being, um, having done a lot of reading about mm-hmm. structural racism and trying really hard to understand it. Um, but I think a lot of people haven't done that reading. And so when, and I think also a lot of people don't understand that when you say like that something is more, is genetically more likely in black people as a race like that's such a huge Mm. genetic variation and it's just kind of silly to say like the skin color is the thing that ties all the genetics together (laughs) no it's it's not that's a very very broad way to consider genetics and it's not accurate so yeah so a lot of issues I think people haven't um just haven't really taken the time to consider that uh these racial disparities we see are because of the racism that's built into everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think the one other thing that stops people from thinking about it is I think because racism is a very bad thing and we all know racism Mm -hmm. is a very bad thing. Nobody wants to think that they're complicit in a racist system. So I think that stops a lot of people. And I think it, maybe that even stopped Dr. Fauci from, calling out racism nationally because it would make a lot of people think like, Oh no, I can't be complicit in racism and shut down. That's not a good reason not to do it, but that's my other thought. No, definitely. Um, going back to, you know, your, you know, their policy, I'm just curious, you know, you guys are calling out, you know, racism is a public health threat, but how within your policy are you calling, um, like solutions or ways that we can address racism in health in order to improve the health of minorities in general? I think that's a really good question because it has to start with awareness, right? But it can't stop with awareness. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when we wrote the resolution and I pulled it up because it has six different resolved clauses, um, we wanted to make sure we wanted to make kind of a comprehensive policy to fill in that giant gap of considering the role of racism um, in health disparities and disparities in healthcare Mm -hmm. and medicine. So we have several parts of it. One of the parts is um, it starts with the acknowledgement. So acknowledging that racism and racist medical practices cause and continue to affect racial disparities, like starting with that statement. Um, And then to go on to recognize the contribution of racism, systemic racism to public Mm -hmm. health disparities and the barrier that they cause to, to trying to resolve disparities. 
And then also to um, talking about wanting to, so so when we wrote the policy, we tried to be very broad because we didn't want to say like, um, specifically, we are going to sit down. And you brought this up actually, when I think we originally said that we would, the AMA would develop best practices. Um, and you brought up a very good point, like why should the AMA be the one to do it? Why not all these other organizations that also have um, have a, a stake in this and have a lot of experience. Um. Absolutely. It's just because um, if you put it on one person, it's like saying to a white person that it's, it's your responsibility alone <laughs> that yes, you are racist. Now go figure out why you're racist. And it's like, well, clearly, you know, over a hundred years, they still have not figured out why they're racist. So <laughs> you telling them and saying, here, go read a book and figure out why you've been doing things wrong is not going to be helpful. But having them sit at the table with other stakeholders to basically help you um, better understand why, you know, your society is set up in a way that disenfranchises other people and empowers others will help bring the conversation more to life. And even within that, going back to your, you know, when you mentioned the first result, the recognition of, you know, racial practices in medicine that talks about going back to history. A lot of our history books don't want to talk about, you know, things that were negative that happened in medicine that affected a lot of minority communities. And we have to talk about the history because the history from what I've seen, um, builds the empathy that's needed to understand the health disparities and inequities that we are seeing today. And that's why it's super important to bring multiple stakeholders yeah. to the table at once. agree a lot. Um, I'm reading, well, I'll, <laughs> I'm reading um, Medical Apartheid, finally. Uh, it was one that was recommended by... Um, Mm. I think it was it was one of our fellow med students, Bailey, who recommended it because Dr. Aletha Maybank had recommended it. Um, so the AMA's oh, yeah. first ever chief health equity officer, and I'm reading it, and I agree, the history is just so um, enlightening. But what did you take away from the book? I mean, I'm just going to tell, you know, the listeners medical apartheid by um, Harriet Washington is definitely a must read. Um, if you're trying to understand the history of medicine, definitely something that will give you a different perspective on how medical practices and medical professionalism was built in this country. It changes your mind a lot. That's definitely a must, must read. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, how after learning that history that she mm. talks about within the book, how did that change you? I should say I am uh, a slow reader at this point in my life. I'm, <laughs> like my okay. med school took away my ability to read anything that's not like a textbook. But um, <laughs> that's, that's so I'm halfway through it at this point. It's also one of those books where I think you read. A chat, for me at least I would read a chapter and I would like have to close it and like go on a walk um mm. it's why is it's, that um the history of medicine in the United States is uh kind of terrible <laughs> there's no nice way to say it um mm -hmm. it was built a lot of what we know was built using 
black bodies in a way that was just totally inappropriate. Um, and I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing I'm taking away from it right now um, is just a much fuller understanding of the mistrust in the healthcare system um, from people of color. Mm-hmm. And I think I knew it in some way before reading the book and I understood it a little bit because I'd read about Tuskegee and like a few other instances that are really well covered in, um, or more better covered, I suppose, in medical history, but I hadn't read the Mm. extent to which it happened. And to me, that was the biggest thing I took away was just like, Mm. you know, like, uh, 1619 was eye opening, um, because it taught what the history books don't teach us that, our country's economy was built on slave labor. Like that's was built on, on putting down people of color and you don't learn that in the history books. And the same way I think medical apartheid is teaching me how much um, of American medicine was built on, on profiting off of racial inequities and racial oppression. So Mm. Uh, (laughs) thank you that's deep um which i think uh you know i guess that even gets back to the ama with its history of racial oppression too which uh i learned Mm. about a couple years into my ama experience um and my first thought was like should i be in this organization Mm. with this history um but i think um my second thought was if i you know if you leave it if you stay in it, you can make it better. And I think the people who are in the AMA right now are um, trying really hard to make it, uh, to change its course to be something that is really on the forefront of trying to right all the inequities that are in medicine. Absolutely. I think that's what a lot of people Mm -hmm. are yet to see with the AMA. Uh, I think the best um, article I saw on that was the Wall Street Journal a couple months ago on like how they're saying now that there's a divide in medicine between the older physicians and the younger physicians and we're considered more liberal. And I thought that was funny because of how we're trying to right the wrongs of the past from and we're being called um, liberal because mm-hmm. we're writing, trying yeah. to right the wrongs. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I, I realized so. I... Um... I went off on a book and I didn't finish talking about the resolution. Do you want me to go back and cover the Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like let's, and I, and honestly it was a nice segue because we were talking about history, but you know, history um, helps us understand why a resolution such as, you know, you know, racism mm-hmm. is a public health issue is so yeah. important. That's have. true. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, no, so go, not let's to talk leave about again. the other parts. Cause I think your question about um, what is the resolution? Like what, what does it do to try to make things better is a really good one. Um, so a couple other things yeah. we wanted to make sure we included besides um, identifying and working with stakeholders to find best practices um, to address and mitigate the effects of racism in medicine uh, was also to work on undergraduate and graduate medical education and to make um, an understanding of racism as a systemic and a cultural and an interpersonal thing uh, part of every medical curriculum and also how to ameliorate those effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also encouraging more policy on combating racism 
um, and encouraging governmental agencies to fund more research on combating racism. And then the last part, which was actually um, added based on Dr. Maybank's suggestion, uh, uh, she, our, our leaders in the medical student mm-hmm. section gave her the resolution and she came back with like all these wonderful adjustments that she wanted to make. It was wonderful. Um, she, the thing that she wanted to add specifically was that our AMA is going to work to prevent um, influences of racism and bias in innovative health technologies. Um, yeah, which this was happening right after that paper came out about um, racism mm. in AI. Yeah, that one. So um, that was, I thought... Uh, when she said, when she asked to put that in at first, I thought, well, that's very specific. But then I realized how, like, that's very important. And I love that she wanted us to get ahead of mm-hmm. that. Because <laughs> um, I think a lot, a lot of the resolution is talking about um, these things that have been with mm-hmm. us for a very long time, racism in medicine and racism built into how we train doctors and racism built into the medical structure and systems and where hospitals are and where people live and where people go to school and everything. Um, but then to think about how do we um, stop what is mm. coming our way. And I love that. And I um, am so glad that we have a leader like Dr. Maybank um, with us in the AMA and leading in medicine to see those things coming and point them out so that we don't end up like trying to catch up from that later. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's definitely powerful, especially with, you know, how if racism is, is such systemic and we're always evolving our system, we have to always be ahead of how, you know, think ahead of how racism can be seen in a different system, even though it really is the same system, but just being involved in different ways. So I think, you know, the fact that she thought of ahead of time about medical technologies was just brilliant. Um, That's definitely the next, you know, Mm -hmm. frontier. And, you know, my last question, you know, going forward, I mean, right now, you know, I'm pretty sure my listeners are seeing all over the TV how they're talking always about, you know, black bodies, not just only black um, bodies or black people being affected by COVID, but also Native Americans, also Hispanic communities. Basically, just if you're a minority in this country right now, you're being ravished by um, COVID. And, you know, what are some ways that you think policy-wise going forward, you know, first, you know, recognizing that racism is a public health issue, but what are some ways once COVID's done that we can change the healthcare system to better address, you know, the systemic like downfalls of it that are causing this to be seen more often in these communities? <laughs> Oof. Uh. <laughs> change everything (laughs) um that's a really good question um i think uh i think thinking about covid um one thing that has been kind of encouraging to me in this pandemic is that we're talking Mm. about the disparities right now um rather than after the pandemic and saying, oh, wow, look at that. Like a lot more people of color died. Mm. Wish we could have done something. I'm glad we're talking about it now. I'm not glad that they're happening now. (laughs) Um, But I think it's um, 
a positive and a tribute to the the leaders of color we have in medicine right now, like Dr. Maybank and um, Dr. Patrice Harris, the president of the AMA, um, who are pointing out these disparities consistently and not letting them be a side mm-hmm. note in the pandemic, that they're pointing them out and making them front and center. So I think, um, I think that's a step forward, but I think, um, I think if we don't make changes after this, if we look at our healthcare system and we look at our economic systems a year after the pandemic is controlled and we haven't made any changes, then I think, I think that would be a sign that we're doing something wrong and we're moving in the wrong direction. I think that, how do you change? I really, I think it really comes down to like a, the whole system is wrong. <laughs> I would, I guess if we can change something in medicine, mm-hmm. I think I'm a single payer fan. I think we need to go to a system where your healthcare is not dependent on your job. Mm. Um, Cause I don't, I don't see a way that we could prevent mm. this from happening again if we don't do that. Absolutely. That's the one thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think, too, uh, you brought up um, Native American and indigenous communities. And I think that has been, I think the pandemic is bringing up how poorly covered some of those communities are. And um, one of our fellow um, AMA MSS members, Alec Kalik, has brought up how, yeah, he's been amazing at raising the awareness of our medical student section um, mm-hmm. And just generally, I think like in Twitter and Facebook and everything, he's really good at not letting those issues drop. But I think it's really brought up how um, Indian health services already had a lot of vacancies and already didn't have enough hospital space for um, like the members of the Navajo Nation, the Dine people. And I would hope that we begin to address those kinds of things. And I would love to see a revolution in medicine whereby we make, you know, like redo GME funding and more medical school spots and make medical school cost less and <laughs> universal health care. <laughs> Basically, you're just like, I just want to fix yeah, everything. Yeah. And I think that's I think, great. <laughs> yes. Let's just, let's just take it all down. Exactly. And um, I think if we can start by uh, fixing the healthcare shortages in um, underserved populations, like the indigenous populations and um, underserved communities and black and brown communities, I think that would be a good place to start. But really, I think we just need to kind of redo everything is what this pandemic is showing us. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. So last question, my very, very last question. I I do this with everyone. It's called, like, um, what should we be on the lookout for, you know, from you? What's what's the next step? What's the next thing that you want to bring forth policy-wise going forward? Um, The next thing I want to see come forward. Um, Well, the next policy um, that I'm really excited to see come forward. So, um, I was excited to see our uh, recognizing racism as a public health threat um, policy come forward to the big AMA this June, but 
that meeting isn't going to happen. So hopefully mm-hmm. in November, we'll see the AMA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hopefully we'll see. No Fingers crossed. It's got to happen sometime. Um, so that <laughs> one. And then the next one after that is one that um, my co-author, Rohan Kazanchi, has been leading on. And I'm, I took a um, second seat to him. So this one, Rohan is the leader of this effort. And then Samina Ahmed. Um, myself, Elena Popova and Abby Solom have been working on a policy, um, about denouncing racial essentialism in medicine. Um, yeah, so that's the next one. This one is Rohan's, Mm. um, brainchild. So, um, I would, if you're going to have him on here, I won't steal his thunder. (laughs) Um, uh, but it's really the idea behind it is, you know, we have like, um, PFT measurements, uh, so pulmonary function tests and um, EGFR, so glomerular filtration, mm-hmm. filtration rate, they include uh, racial corrections, right? Um, but those are inaccurate and mm-hmm. they don't, They, I mean, they like some of them probably cover for a lot of other factors that aren't, that race is acting as a proxy for. Um, but that makes them inaccurate because you can't say that, you know, all people of one race have this problem or all people of a different race um, come from lower SES background. So these like using race in medicine in this way is really like using race as a biological factor is really um, not accurate and not good practice. Mm. Um and also perpetuates false beliefs and um, doesn't take into account like what is where do mixed race people fit into these calculations? Yeah, so all of these problems. And exactly, um, <laughs> I am excited to see that move forward because that's a thing that's bothered me in medicine for a while as well. Um, and it also, yeah, I yeah, I'm excited for that one. I'm excited too. So Anna, thank you so much for being on Coloring Health Policy today. I think you dropped some major gems for a lot of the listeners, and I'm pretty sure they are like grateful to have listened to to you today. And I'm grateful to even talk about this topic. I, I like to, you know, talk about policy topics that are trying to change what we're seeing around us, trying to change the system. So I'm happy that you're able thank to you. spend this time with me today. This um, was an absolute pleasure to be talking with you. Um, and I appreciate it so much that you're um, willing to have me and love that you're making this podcast. So thank you for all that you're doing. So let's do this again. Breathe in. Breathe out. And I, I want to take the time and just be in the moment because literally when I was recording my monologue for this episode, so many things have happened um, that is just makes my head spin with the fact that president has first in the morning said, you know, the whole shooting and looting thing. And then this afternoon has just released that he's going to leave the world health organizations in the middle of a pandemic, as well as just bringing it back to America where we're seeing black individuals being killed by police officers and we're waiting for true justice to be given to their lives and to their memories, but also, you know, the effects and the mental health tolls that it takes on black people in general. 
and not only black people, but also other minority groups who are also experienced police brutality. And it just highlights why this episode was so important and why people like Anna, myself, and organizations like SNMA need to take a stand, talk more about why we have to address racism as a public health threat and why it needs to be taught not only in you know our general public but also in our health system our and how we change that plays a huge role in how we move forward the health of not only our nation but also our world because i'm telling you america yes right now you guys we look crazy we just look really really crazy but we are still the leader in this world so if we get this right in america imagine how much of a better world we can help create so on that note you guys if you know you love coloring health policy and you love the topics that we are discussing because we are going to continue to talk about topics that are related to health policy and how it impacts minority communities it's just the beginning as i've always said it's just the beginning i'm so glad you guys are here with me on this journey if you still want to stay here, make sure you are subscribing so you can get this episode and hear it. Be the first people to hear it before I post it on social media and other any other platforms. Also, make sure you're telling a friend, hey, I found this great podcast. I need you to subscribe too. I need you to listen. I need you to get informed, get motivated, get awakened. Y'all, I got a lot of episodes and I know I am backed up, but trust me, I am going to get to them. But there's a lot going on in the world. Stay tuned. Coloring Health Policy is definitely going to take you on a ride and a journey that you never saw coming. All right. We out.